Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things Pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at The Bird Rights and get all the latest on your pelicans at thebirdrights.com. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls Podcast. Today we are recapping the Pels matchup with the Pacers, hosted by the big picture boys, Travis and Trevor, before going to part two, where I will be hosting Chris McKee of Raptors HQ to preview this upcoming Thursday's matchup in Toronto. All right, here's part one. Take it away, big picture boys. And welcome back, New Orleans Pelicans fans. We are coming to you live. Well, we're not live. This is a podcast, but we're coming to you after... Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Pelicans defeated the Indiana Pacers tonight, uh, 117 to 112 in Indiana. Uh, the Pelicans gave up a franchise record, 75 first half points. They were down by 14 at halftime. Things were, weren't looking so good. They came back. They had an incredible third quarter. Came back and won the game, 117 to 112. AD was incredible. Boogie Cousins was incredible. And they got just enough contributions from other guys. I'm Travis Tate. We got Trevor Ritchie. We are the big picture boys. It's been a while, Trevor. I'm so sorry that we haven't been able to connect. Uh, what did you think of tonight's game? Well, it's it's not my fault we haven't been able to connect. You essentially have left it's my me fault. for I, a yeah, few I weeks. And I guess yeah. the big picture has has made you away from me. But uh no, uh, I mean, no. I watched the first half, and uh, <laughs> I watched the first half, and uh, it it's just kind of the offense kept up. I'm I'm pleased with what I saw on the offensive end. There was just things like early foul trouble from uh, Drew Holiday and Demarcus Cousins, but when you get to halftime and, and you think your offense is running well, 
and you look up and you see what 75 to 61 you're down 14 you look at the stat sheet and you're out rebounded in the first half offensively and defensively the Pacers had more assists steals blocks and even though the Pelicans shot around 53 percent from the field the Pacers shot 10 percent better um, the Pelicans had triple the turnovers. They had nine. The Pacers only had three at halftime. And um, I, I don't know if I attribute – I mean, shot selection was poor. The Pacers were making some tough shots, but there were also defensive breakdowns. Um, and like I said, the foul trouble also contributes. I don't I don't know what I'm going to point to specifically in that first half. It just – it wasn't good enough, honestly. Yeah, I thought um... – I thought it was just one of those, it was uh, the perfect storm in a lot of ways. The the Pacers have have put up some huge numbers early this season. They're kind of one of those overachieving teams in the East that uh, that has kind of been a surprise, like them in Detroit, um, and then obviously Orlando as well. But they've looked really good so far this year. Sabonis didn't play tonight. Um, he came over in the OKC trade, but Oladipo had some moments. Uh, he had a, He had an early... A um, couple of highlight plays, including a sort of one of those wrap around from the other side of the hoop dunks. Um, so he had some moments, and then Darren Collison made some shots. I thought Lance Stevenson was just huge for them in the first half. Um, he made an incredible, like thirty foot long three. He had a a nice uh, playmaking moment where he kind of did like a some jab steps and stuff, and then uh, got a bounce pass to, I think, maybe Thad Young for, for a dunk right before the halftime. But uh, they just had everything going. Um, and it is one of those things, like you mentioned, you know, the Pelicans offense I thought was running very smoothly. Things were going nice for AD. I think he made like seven out of, out of his first eight shots or, you know, maybe even nine out of his first ten. I mean, he only missed about five shots all night. Um I'll get those exact stats in a minute, but he was just uh, incredible. Uh, Cousins was also just super good. Um, what do you think it was that happened in the second half? Because to me, I thought it was basically just that the Pacers didn't really get any kind of penetration, uh, and they were relying probably too heavily on outside shooting, um, and basically their shot went away from them. and. They just didn't get anything going. And and the next thing you knew, the Pelicans were just getting whatever they wanted to um, offensively. Well, the, the first thing that I saw, the first thing, sorry, Travis. Um, yeah. Like I said, the, the turnovers in the first half, that gives up points. The foul trouble uh, losing Drew Holiday and DeMarcus Cousins is going to open some lanes up. And I feel like, and then obviously shooting th- 63% from the field in the half is, is a little bit unrealistic. So I feel like they're, the Pacers came down a notch. They came down to reality in the second half. The Pelicans continued to play tough defense, forced the Pacers into tough shots. They turned the ball over less. And, I mean, essentially they came back and even the score in almost every statistical category. They ended the game back ahead in rebounds, tied in offensive rebounds, leading in defensive, more assists, more steals, more blocks. They had more turnovers, but they had less turnovers than the Pacers did in the second half. And they shot better from, and they ended the game shooting better from the field when they were 
shooting worse than the Pacers by, like I said, 10%. And the third quarter was critical. Um, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins combined for somewhere around like 28 or maybe 30 of the Pelicans' 35 points. I don't know what the exact number was. I know that it was a, a good majority of them. They they took over the game. They brought the game back, like you said, down 14 at halftime, and then the game, I, I'm not sure what the third quarter lead was. I think it was two. The Pelicans were up by two. And then the fourth quarter, it was just a there was a, a tough stretch. The the Pacers found a way back in. Um, Drew Holiday, if we're while I'm touching on him, um, late in the game, his, his shot selection was poor throughout yeah. the entire game. Uh, I'm not gonna panic on him as a player or any of his capabilities, but I am hitting the panic button on there's got to be something done and it's got to happen now. To fit. he struggled ever since Demarcus Cousins has been brought to this team. And there's got to be something that's figured out when you play more minutes than the two players that I'm about to mention, Jameer Nelson and Darius Miller, and you can't outscore them. Drew Holiday had 10 points. Um, Jameer Nelson had 10, 10 points and Darius Miller had 12. You're playing 29 minutes and you're averaging a significant amount more than those two players and you can't outscore them. It's, it's just time to hit the panic button and, and just say that. I mean, we've been talking about it for a long time. But it, it's time for the team to hit the panic button. It's time for the coaches to hit it. And, and it's time for somebody to figure something out. Late in the game, he gets fouled twice. Two free throw series. He misses one yeah. of each. Luckily, on the second one, DeMarcus Cousins, a critical finish. And, and God, was he hyped. And rightfully so. Um, well, on, the happened, first one, but on the first one, Davis got his AD rebound and, and came down. Got the rebound down, and called uh, the timeout. Got the timeout. Yeah. I mean, two um, critical I'm, plays. That had that not happened, Travis. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But had that had those two plays not happened, I could definitely see the Pelicans losing down the stretch. Yeah, totally. and that would come off of Drew Holiday missing free throws. So that's true. Um, if I was going to play devil's advocate, I would say that I thought tonight he was generally better than I've seen him. Um, I think he's getting. I think he's getting a little bit better at just playing the two and while at the same time occasionally he does take over as lead ball handler especially when um when he's paired with Davis and they're and the Pelicans look like they're willing to have Drew become the lead ball handler even when Jameer Nelson is out there which didn't happen often but I mean um big picture this team generally doesn't rely on just like here's our point guard and he's going to bring the ball up the floor every single time it's kind of like whoever gets the rebound can bring it up like cousins and ad bring the ball up half the time um so i don't have a problem with him bringing the ball up or not bringing the ball up but what he's got to do is find the moments when he's going to act like a true two and you know as soon as he gets the ball um make an attacking move and i thought he did that a few times tonight um, I still like his partnership with AD. Uh, I know he had at least one alley-oop with him. He made another couple of nifty passes to him. Um, AD, and we've just got to talk about Anthony Davis. He Tonight he went 14 out of 18. He had 14 rebounds. He had two blocks. He had 37 total points. Um, he made four out of his five three attempts. Uh, tonight was probably... 
you know, he might have more gaudy numbers. I remember he had a like a maybe a 59-point game against the Pistons a couple of years ago. Um, he's had other massive nights, but, I mean, this is going to be about as good as it gets when you consider the number of field goals that he took and he only missed four, um, one of those being a three-pointer. Uh, what more can you say about him? Um, he played 41 minutes and 15 seconds. I mean, are we just looking at, you know, this is the kind of guy that can lead them to the promised land, or is he going to, you know, continue to put up massive numbers for a team that maybe only wins 40 games every year? You know, do you think his play is going to is gonna turn into more and more wins for this Pelicans team? I think it will, and I think when he can have performances like he had tonight and in unison with DeMarcus Cousins, who also had 32 points and 13 rebounds for the second time this yeah. season. Davis and Cousins insane. had, they both had 30 points and 30 plus points and 10 plus rebounds. Um, it's ridiculous. If they can work in, and you can kill the narrative for anyone listening that, that doubted that Cousins and Davis could work. To, it's you over. Kill, it, kill it tonight. Rip it up, shred it, it's throw done. it in the trash, give it away. The, the red flags are the players that we have in the starting lineup that given are giving us goose eggs. I saw that uh, Ali said something. Uh, I don't know if it was in our, our the our group chat with our colleagues, but he said something. We're expecting too much out of Etwan Moore. I, in my opinion, we're getting exactly what I would expect out of Etwan. If you look at Drew, it, like I said, it's panic button. And I have a question for you, Travis. If you look at Dante Cunningham. He's essentially, if you just want to break it down, a zero across the board in everything. He's done essentially nothing for for a good stretch of time now. I think he had two points tonight, three rebounds on one of three shooting, and that was it, and he's a starter. What more for the third straight game, Darius Miller has had nine or more points. He had a shaky start to the season in, in, in comparison with um, Dante Cunningham. What more does he have to do over this stretch for Alvin Gentry to maybe consider putting Miller into the starting lineup over Cunningham? Would I, it, and I, and yeah, would it be I, worth I, a try? Yeah, I, th- I think we can see that's a great question, and, and I, I get what you're, what you're going with here. I'd say just be patient at this point. I think we can all see the way this is going. Um, I, would, I would, at this point, I'm thinking that at, if this team continues to keep figuring out its best lineups, you know, they're going to see that they're going to play a lot of Jameer Nelson and they're going to play Tony Allen a fair amount. He played like 25 minutes a night and I thought he was generally pretty good. And then I think that they're going to have to play Miller um, because Cunningham is essentially, like you said, and I, I don't even mean it in like a really like negative way towards him because he had a great year last year and he's, a, I think he's a legit NBA player but he's basically a zero out there. Like he doesn't really give me anything. Um, There might be certain matchups where he feels really good against, you know, when he guards certain guys, I know that um, there's sort of Twitter talk and, and the birdrights.com talk about him being a good matchup on LeBron James. I mean, nobody's a good matchup on LeBron. He just had like 57 the other day. So um you know, I, I think that the way this is trending is that we're going to see less and less of Cunningham and probably more and more of Miller. 
I thought Miller looked pretty good tonight. I know, um, as you mentioned, he's scored nine-plus points in three straight games or something. That's okay. Kind of what I want to see more out of him and what I saw just on a few possessions is more sudden aggression with his shot because he's there to shoot um, on offense. And then defensively, he's just going to have to do the best he can. Um, He's going to be out there in certain lineups where he's basically going to be playing the four especially what I think um, more so when AD is out there at the five. And so if he can get into certain matchups where maybe he feels okay guarding the four, um, that's going to be a big help on offense um, for him to get up a bunch of three point attempts. Because again, you know, he's another one of these guys who he has to find a way to be a good, not just like a good player and take a bunch of shots, but like be a good secondary player. Like, he's not going to be in any lineup where he's going to be the number one option. He's every lineup he's going to play with the Pelicans. He's going to be at least, I would say probably the number three option at very best. Like if he's out there with like Tony Allen, you know, he's going to be more of an offensive option than he is obviously, but um, he's just a guy who needs to get to the right places. Um, While we're talking about this, I forget to throw out that um, a return date for, all-star, former all-star point guard and champion point guard, Rajon Rondo was thrown out a return date. I think it was November 17th against the Nuggets. Um, Not concrete. They're taking that process day by day. So while we're talking about, uh, you know, what we're doing with the the starting lineup and and with those uh, holes that we have, when Rondo comes back, do you, do you go with one of Cunningham or Miller and stick with that? Or do you, do you go with the three guard and put more there? I, I think that's the conversation now, especially with, with essentially everyone struggling. So you're saying about possibly playing Drew, Etwan, and Rondo? Would you do that? Or would, having... you, or would you go with either Cunningham or Miller in the starting line? Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably stick with the Cunningham or Miller situation. Um, I don't really have a problem with the Cunningham thing as of right now, just because I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to be playing 45 minutes a night. So like, I know I'm going to be getting massive minutes from both AD and cousins, and that's going to take a lot of those minutes away from Cunningham. Um, because, because Miller is now playing like Miller is an act. It appears to be an actual NBA player. So I I don't know if I want Rondo immediately coming in and taking minutes away from, say, obviously, I mean, everybody here is a fan of Jameer Nelson, um, but even, like, Tony Allen is going to find certain nights when he's pretty effective. Um, So as of right now, I I would be, and I guess I'm always kind of this way when guys are coming back from injury, especially in a case where Rondo hasn't played with this team doesn't know what his role is and he's got a very uh ball heavy type of identity and so I don't know if I would want to immediately start plugging him in and playing him 20 25 28 minutes a game when he hasn't been out there especially when you consider what this team has gotten from Jameer Nelson who has just been a revelation I mean I wish I would have known that he was still that like basically his age is kind of only helping him. Uh, well, he knows 
everything about where to go, what to do, where guys should be, where the pass should go, which, you know, picks he should take and which ones he should go away from. I think he's just been fantastic. And so I don't want to limit Jameer Nelson at all in favor of Rondo. Well, I think if you if you move if you're moving Drew to the two back for Rondo, first of all, I disagree with you. I think you do. I think you immediately put Rondo into the starting lineup. I think you immediately really? pay him 25 minutes a game. I think that's the coaching staff's plan, or else I and I've I've been an advocate for that. I feel like it it would be a better lineup if Jameer, Jameer Nelson was a starter right now. But um, I think you do. I mean, with with Drew being the primary ball handler right now, outside of you know you know demarcus is as well a lot of the time but uh you you know we're not getting much and and we know rondo is not he is he is ball heavy and he's ball centric and he and he needs to have it but he's it's not like he's gonna shoot it you know he's not gonna throw up a ton of shots he's not gonna throw up dumb shots he's gonna allow ad and demarcus to get more shots inside of the paint you're going to you're going to allow Drew to finally get com- more comfortable off the ball and probably have more open shots. She's going to open up the three-point shooting, which is going to be able to still spread DeMarcus Cousins out to the perimeter and Anthony Davis at times. And I I feel like it just gives if you throw Rondo back into the starting lineup, it just gives the entire roster a whole different feel, uh, a, a completely different uh sensibility when it comes to to depth and just mindset essentially and I feel like uh I don't know I I believe I said that I don't I'm not sure if I said this on a previous podcast but when we spoke to um Tony Allen after the Minnesota Timberwolves loss uh the a question was asked how far do you think this team is away from being where they should be and Tony Allen's answer was Rondo just straight up Rondo he said he said specifically we're short an all-star champion point guard and once he comes back We'll be ready to go. And I think that's, I mean, that's a huge deal when you ask a player, how far are you from being where you want to be? And it's one player. Tony Allen is senile. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I I mean, from from what I hear uh, around and from what I've seen, starting all the way back from uh, media day, Rondo's the key. And I don't think if you're, if your goal is to win games and your goal is to get in the playoffs in which we're going to be skating by if we want to do that with how competitive the Western Conference is, and I know that narrative gets old, but it's just the damn truth, and it's going to continue to be the truth. With, with I mean, if you some of these teams are struggling right now. Like, like I, I don't know, the Thunder, I think they play tonight, and it, it'll be behind us uh, once this comes out, but they're not at 500 right now, I don't think. I think they're 4-5, and five, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just going to be a grind the entire season. So you're going to have to do, and that's what Gentry's doing right now. That's why DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis are playing 40-plus minutes every night is because it puts them in the best position to win, and they don't have a choice but to win games. And I think when Rondo comes back, if if you want to win games, you're going to have to use him. And if your plan down the stretch is for him to be your starting point guard, you're going to have to get him back incorporated into this lineup as quickly as possible. And there's only one way to do that, and that's to put him out there. Here's... Uh, here's what I would say to all that. And, you know, before the season started, I, I was going to be pretty high on, on what Rondo was going to give him because I did think that it was probably a good move to move Drew more off ball um, than he had been previously. I think they've already got a better version of Rondo when they got Jameer Nelson. I think that that's like the, the lucky... 
Stop. the lucky piece that they needed. Hit the brakes. Hit the brakes. He's a shooter. He's more of a brakes. shooter than Rondo is. And so in those minutes when you say that, you know, you're going to have Cousins act as kind of like a point center, um, he's a better off-ball player than Rondo is. When, in those moments when when Drew decides to run the offense with another point guard out there, I think that the the better option for that player is for it to be Jameer Nelson instead of Rondo. Um, I, from what I've seen, he's much more of like a steadying force. Now, I mean, I'm not sitting here trashing Rondo. I think that he's going to be fine, but like, I'm, I've just been so like, it's been so nice to see um, Jameer Nelson just basically use his IQ to figure out everything on the floor. Additionally, I want to mention Tony Allen. He played 20, 24 minutes tonight. He, you know, he did some random things in terms walk, of like scoring. Walk away from the point, covers. Travis. Walk away from it. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, okay. I want to say I like Jameer Nelson more than I like Rondo, but I haven't seen Rondo play this year. So, it, I mean, I don't know it, what I, – I can't make a strong statement there. But I know right. I like Jameer Nelson. At, at this point in their careers, do you, are you saying that you feel like Jameer Nelson right now, at this point in their career, is better than Rondo? I don't think better in a vacuum. I think better on this team. Okay. All right. I can, I can disagree. I can agree to disagree with you if that's your statement. If it was, if it was completely in a vacuum, I, I might have uh, lost my mind for a moment. But uh, <laughs> I, I think you can make a fair argument for that, and, and it's, only, it's something that we'll have to wait and see. I'm just going to um, no comment and disagree on that. Yeah, I mean, the th- that's the, I mean, the entire point of this you know, of us even talking about this is that we haven't even seen Rondo yet. Like, did I love Rondo in 2009 when he was with the Celtics? Like, Oh my God, I was obsessed with him. He was probably one of my favorite players in the league, but first of all, he's not that player. And second of all, we haven't even seen him play with this particular team. I I have no idea what his partnership is going to be like with say AD. um, Cause I know what we've seen in the past with drew and him. I understand that Drew has been really bad ever since Cousins came over in terms of like putting up numbers and generally he just looks like super lost, but he does look, he looks close to what he's supposed to look like when Drew is out there with AD, I think. I've, um, I've got a, I've got a big picture. I'm going to say on the podcast, on the record, the first game that Rondo comes back and plays at least 25 minutes He's gonna he's gonna have a double double. At least at least ten points and at least ten assists. And I said it here that's first. A strong, it, that's it, a strong it, statement. If, if it happens, you must credit Richie TMR on Twitter. We'll do at Richie TMR. How do you spell that? R I T C H I E T M R. Let's get back to Tony Allen. He played 24 minutes tonight. He did, you know, if you look at his box score, you just see, you know, two and four and one and two and one. Um, but I thought generally he was very good. I, I wrote in my notes as I was watching the game, I've seen him hold and pull on jerseys and get away with stuff that those kind of, you know, those those former Grizzlies get away with. He is, he, I remember um, Zebo doing a lot of that, Zach Randolph doing a lot of that, always getting away with it. 
it's got to be the most frustrating thing ever when you're the other team and you have to play against either a Zach Randolph or a Tony Allen because they just do so much like dirty stuff that doesn't get caught. Um, he had some turnovers and some kind of strange bad plays, but then he also had some some nice plays, and he's a really smart cutter. Um, and he even made a three, I think, didn't he? Um, I believe no. so. I'm not sure. The box score doesn't say he did. I swear he made one. It must have been, just been a long two. But um, I, I think the thing about what you said uh, uh, about his defense and what he gets away with is just just speaks to how much of a cerebral defensive player he is. That he understands where that line is at of what a ref can see and what a ref will call, and mm-hmm. he rides that line the entire game. Yep. And, and that's yep. what you do when when you're a gritty athlete like him. And just about in any sport, um, that's the type of player, if you want to play good defense, that you have to be. And that's the type of things you have to understand. And it's it's a spark that he provides that we need. I feel like if he had the stamina and the energy to play starter minutes, that he would be the starter right now. And I don't think there's a question anywhere in the organization that he would be. He just can't play 30 minutes a game. He can Over barely play. Over Dante. Oh. Most definitely to me. I think it's. I, I think uh, when you see Dante can't hit the open threes in the corner that he usually makes, um, he's not as good of a defensive player. So, I mean, if you're going to sacrifice that offense, either way it goes, I would value Tony Allen's defensive presence more so than what Dante Cunningham it has given us thus far, which is why I say that. And from what I've heard Gentry say at practice, he hasn't indicated that that would be the case, but he has indicated and shot or essentially shot down the possibility of Tony Allen Allen starting because he 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 can't play that long. He said after the Timberwolves game that he played 18 minutes and he felt like he played 30. And so it's just it's just not possible right now. He's not conditioned enough. I would have loved to see it and I, I you know just to try it out. It's a little it's a little late in the game if the if the plan is when Rondo comes back to reset that starting lineup. We're only uh you know I guess a little over 10 day or right at 10 days away be nine days when this probably drops but um it's unfortunate that he can't play that long but what he's giving us is extremely valuable the entire team knows what he brings to the table they appreciate what he brings to the table and there's not many other players in this league like tony allen and it's a it's a great thing to be able to watch him play on a consistent basis uh yeah that's interesting uh, I, I forgot about that quote. I remember uh, you and, and Ollie or somebody uh, tweeting out that quote about how he, he felt so tired after playing that few minutes. It's still early in the year. I mean, there's plenty of time for him to get his wind. Um, I, would, I would love to see more of him if he's able to do what it is that he's been known for doing. Um, well, he, he was, just a, just a quick note, he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first man off the bench tonight, I believe, when yeah. DeMarcus Cousins picked up that third foul. Or yep. it was either second or third foul. Tony Allen came off the bench. So, I mean, he was the sixth man tonight, and, and that's the when he comes on the court, he brings that, that sixth man um, energy. So that might be the role that he plays moving forward if he continues to perform at the level he has been. It's, it's not a lot. It's not a ton. It's not spectac- spectacular. He's never been a player that you just look at the, the, the box score and, and he blows you out of the water. But the eye test doesn't lie um, if, if you understand basketball and he passes that on, a, on an almost a nightly basis. He has times 
um, where he misses a layup or he misses a shot. He's never been yeah. the best shooter or the best offensive player. That's just something you live with when he's as good of a cutter as he is. If it, you see him cutting to the basket, you give him the ball. I think he has some stat as far as cutting goes. I think he has the the most cuts on the team, or he's cut the most. He he just runs, and that's that's part of the reason yeah. why when he plays 18 minutes, it feels like he played 30 because he's about the only player trying to make sure that that ball's moving and that he's cutting. And hopefully, that's something he can instill into the rest of the team. And hopefully, that six man role is something that he can uh, he can uh, live up to and live in and uh, keep contributing what he has and, and improve upon that if possible. Yeah, I want a couple points off of that, that that you brought up. The cutting thing is, I think, is totally true um, where he might be one of the few guys on the team who really does a, a nice job of cutting. I think Moore does it sometimes, each one more. Um, and I think even Drew does it uh, a little bit. But uh, I also wanted to say that cutting thing brought up I, I think in the first half, we just got destroyed by backdoor cuts, guys not paying attention. I think people like Cunningham um, were maybe caught sleeping and, and we got beat on some, uh, on some backdoors and got some layups and stuff. Um, I, I do remember Cunningham was the guy who got beat on that Oladipo uh, like highlight dunk. Um, Bogdanovich had a, had a really nice layup against Cunningham. So um you know, if Cunningham is going to be the guy who gets victimized, you know, you hate to call out just a couple of plays and say that he's not playing good defense, but um, when it becomes noticeable like that, you sort of, it's easy to point the finger and, and you say, well, what kind of value is he giving us on the other side uh, if he's not going to make plays on the defensive end? So maybe that's a situation where we start playing Miller more minutes or playing Tony Allen those minutes, like you mentioned. Um, so I think that's totally true. I want to zoom out. We are the big picture boys. This is the third win in a row um, on, on a road trip of four games. We beat Dallas, beat the Chicago Bulls, who are terrible, then beat Indiana tonight. We've got one last game on the road trip. They're playing the Raptors on Thursday, November 9th. Games are going to be at 6.30. Um, what, what do you think about our chances in that game? Um, I think, I think the team is generally going to be super pumped up for having just gone three and zero on this road trip, and now they want to close it out with a four and zero. Um, it's one of those things where winning might breed more winning. Um, but Toronto's pretty good. I know they've they've kind of changed over some of the guys in the lineup and stuff. Patrick Patterson is gone. Terrence Ross is gone. Um, but they still have Lowry and DeRozan and Valanchunas. Uh, what do you think their chances are on Thursday? That, first of all, Valanchunas is going to look like barbecue chicken on defense. Oh, boy. Um, I, I think oh, I'm oh, just going to – Speaking of what, speaking of what, we'll get to Thad Young. We're, we're going to have to talk about how badly Thad Young got abused <laughs> tonight, but go ahead. We'll, we'll continue talking about Toronto for now. I, I'm just I'm just gonna go with the why not mentality, uh, and I, hopefully that's what the team's going with. Like you said, uh, hopefully this winning breeds more winning. It's a three and a road trip. I mean, it, at the start of the season, if you look at the the first seven road games, and and then if they win against the Raptors, it would be the first eight road games. Would you? I mean, I wouldn't have seen they're five and two right now on the road. Didn't see that coming. Um, they're 500 and th that's going to, when that sits in and, and they realize that this is the first time new Orleans has been over 500 
since April of 2015. It's the first time that Alvin Gentry has been over 500 as the Pelicans head coach. There's a yeah. crazy stat for you. Um, yeah. It's it's going to bring confidence, and it has to. Uh, uh, I think the confidence that we saw just late in the game against Indiana was was inspiring, and, and it seemed to catch on throughout the team. Like it, like we were talking about the, the series of, of free throws where Davis gets the loose ball and calls the timeout. He was hyped. Then the next series comes, and, and Boogie gets that put back. And dude, yeah. he, they go to the bench. And I don't know if you saw the shot where they go to the bench, but dude, they were they they looked great. I just saw a tweet that uh, Chris True tweeted out, and it said, "What was that quote about Bill Simmons saying that Demarcus looked miserable playing in New Orleans?" And and posted a picture of uh, Demarcus Cousins smiling. And I just think all of that is gonna play gonna play into this confidence and this momentum rolling into Toronto. And I'm not going to guarantee a win. I'm just saying that I feel like even though the Raptors are in the top half of that Eastern Conference play, that it's going to be a why not type of game. It's going to be a gritty performance. I I don't think any game at this point right now, you have to assume when Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins are on the court, it can happen. Uh, The 14-point deficit at halftime, uh, you give up 75 points in the first half and you still find a way to win. You, we gave up 70 points to the Kings, find a way to come back in the win. And I, I get those teams aren't necessarily the Toronto Raptors and haven't done with the players that are on their rosters what the Toronto Raptors have been able to do. Um, but it's still, I, I just think it, it can be done. And like I said, I'm not going to give a cr- concrete win or loss, but I, I definitely think it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't particularly like their chances against Toronto. I think that Toronto is definitely a better team than new orleans um i would also note that we do have an like you mentioned i mean it's like i can't believe we're saying these numbers but they're five and two on the road but here are the teams they've beaten on the road the lakers they're terrible the kings are somehow even worse dallas is maybe the worst team in the nba if not for chicago who they also beat and then so indiana is kind of like by far their best win on the road um, and then Toronto is going to be um, probably the best team they've played on the road, I guess. I, I, they're probably better than Memphis. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know what's going to happen there. But I, I do like your point about um, this team generally. It's It seems like they're in a different place than they've been in pre- – I mean, they're definitely in a, in a different place than they've been in previous years just because – the last two years, as we have alluded to many times, um, you know, we get off to what a, a two and twelve start or something, and then a one and thirteen start or whatever, whatever the starts were the last couple of years have just been so bad. So it'll be um, super interesting to see if they can play uh, a good game against uh, Toronto, who Toronto played probably one of the best games of the year. Well, I don't know, one of the best games of the year, but a really entertaining game against uh, Golden State about a week ago um, and nearly won that game. So that was that was fun to see for them. Um, what do you think? A, a few more things on the Pacers. Um, and we I mentioned him just a little bit ago. Thaddeus Young, who I really like. You know, whenever he comes up in trade rumors and – you know, you see him have these massive games sometimes where if he's making outside shots, then he's just like a really spectacular player. Um, he's a great athlete. 
you want to say that he's a really good defender, but tonight it was just like he had no chance. Um, Davis would essentially just get the ball and kind of jump in the air and just shoot a little three-footer over him time after time after time. Um, is, the, is Thaddeus Young dead? Is Thaddeus Young alive? What happened to him tonight? Or is just Davis, maybe Davis is just that good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Thad is a – I see him as a three trying to guard two fives out there or the size of two fives, and it's just – it's not going to happen. Um, I understand that Thad typically plays the four, um, but uh, he's more of a three, and that's kind of what we work with, that, that Tony Allen and Darius Miller are more twos, and we use them in the three spot, and then yeah. we, we have to stretch Dante to the four at times when necessary. So that's kind of – the same stretch deal with Thaddeus, uh, and that's that's happening in the NBA. That's a trend. That's something that you know players like that are going to have to deal with on a nightly basis when you face teams that that have two talented bigs or, or talented front courts just in general, and you have size mismatches. Um, that's going to happen, and there's not many people, period, that match up with those two. They're going to be able to guard them, let alone when when you're undersized or at a disadvantage. Uh, just one thing I wanted to go back and point to is when you name off those teams and you kind of you didn't purposely take it out of context, but when you take out of context that we were coming off a you know forty point loss in the preseason to Memphis, then we then we go in you know we play them again, we lose that game. I think we all saw that coming. The Lakers road game comes in between a Warriors home game that they battle extremely hard possibly could have won. Then you have yeah. to go on the road to the Lakers right after that. It's it's not the easiest thing to do going across the country after playing as hard as they did. Then you have the Trailblazers and you lose to them on the road because Anthony Davis, you know, falls out and you don't play great, you lose by 10. Then you go to the Kings and Anthony Davis doesn't play and it's emotional. DeMarcus Cousins feels like he has to do anything point. he can do to get that win. And then like now we're on that four game road stretch. When we looked at this preseason, I said, if we can just get out of the first 12 games at 500, it's, it's a success because when you just take yeah. when you take those teams out of the fact that eight of these first 12 games are on the road and two of the four home games that we have are against the two teams that were in the finals last year. It's, I, yeah. I mean, we're in a good we're in a damn good place right now for for what on paper the schedule will look like starting the season. Just to, I just that, wanted to bring that back around into context a yeah. little more. Yeah, that's totally fair, especially that Kings game. Uh, that's easy, easy to overlook now, you know, two weeks later after it happened. But obviously the night when that was happening, that was just, um, you know, that was really quite the event uh, and, and going on no one's going to no one's going to look back at these wins and say, how how did they beat the the Bulls and the, and the Mavericks on back-to-back nights? How did they struggle so much? When we get to the, you know, January, February, March. No one, no one cares. They just have to get the win, and I don't think that that's gonna going into. We're talking about going into uh, Toronto. They're not gonna look back and say, "Dude, I don't know how we're gonna match up against these these Raptors when we could barely beat the Bulls, Mavericks, and, and and Pacers." They're looking at we just got three wins on the road, and we're gonna try to go get another one. And I think that uh, you have to do that. You have to have a short mind, no matter what happens. You either get the win or you get the loss, and you move on and try to do it all over again. And I, I think that that builds enough confidence to to run off of and put some fuel in the gas tank for these guys to try, hopefully 
um, get a win against the Raptors and then come home and face the Clippers on Saturday. Yeah, um, I'm going to bring up a little bit more of the schedule here because we're ending a road trip and then we've got five out of the next six are at home. Uh, we kind of up the level of competition a little bit. we got the Clippers. Uh, we then play the Hawks who stink. They're, you know, they're also in the running for worst team in the NBA. And then we play the Raptors again, this time at home. Then we go on the road for one against Denver. And then we come back home for OKC and the Spurs. There's no back-to-backs in there or anything, so there's none of that to worry about. Thank you, Adam Silver, for extending the schedule. Um, but things are going to get a little more real here. Uh, the Clippers look like, you know, they're decent. They're, you know, they're obviously it hurts when, when you lose somebody like Chris Paul, but they've got other guys. They've got, uh, you know, Blake Griffin's playing great and DeAndre Jordan and all those guys. Um, and then obviously, you know, at the end of the schedule there, you got OKC and, and the Spurs. Um, is this a situation where you're just trying to keep your head above water still? Or do you think that, uh, you know, there's a home crowd advantage that we can take advantage of in New Orleans? Well, we're at a disadvantage at home right now. We, I'm not sure what the exact record is. I'm just not looking at the numbers, but it's not good, and it's not a winning record at home right now. Um, hopefully, when, once we get to the OKC and the Spurs games that you mentioned, we're in the hopes that Ronda will be back. That might mean that the lineup and the, and the ros- roster holds depth and it makes things better, or that might mean that we're trying to incorporate a player that we, we want to use at a high level moving forward, and, and that costs us a game or two. I think the backtracking, I think the, Clipper games, the Clippers game presents a, a fascinating matchup when you look at Patrick Beverly's probably going to be able to defensively do whatever he wants to with whoever he's guarding as far as Drew and, and just some of the players that we yeah. have struggling. Um, and then it's just going to be a, a, a battle of front courts. That it's gonna it's gonna be a, a fun game to watch. Definitely um, in the paint and down low, it's gonna be a battle. It's 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 gonna be a challenge. Um, then you you go to the Hawks. You have to win that. And I don't care how sloppy it is. You just have to win it. And then you go. You have the Raptors come back to at home. So whether you win or lose the first game, you're gonna be able to go back and watch that film, make adjustments, and, and to that point, that's one thing that I feel like the the Pelicans did extremely well tonight, and it shows in the box store is the the, the halftime uh, the halftime adjustments, and and that's just something that they're going to have to do if, if they lose a game, they're going to have to go back and watch that film and, and bounce back, and that, that you know I kind of could foresee that happening with the Raptors that they lose this next game to the, to Toronto, and then they come back and have them at home and they yeah. find a way to win that game, and and that's just the type of things that happen throughout the course of an NBA season. It is a tough stretch. Um, I don't, I don't know what to predict at this point. I think it is the the entire season is going to be a stay above water. I mean, when you when you look yeah. at when you look at where you want to be sitting in the playoff six, seven, eight seed, you're only going to be around. I would say this team maybe at best. I, I my prediction before the season started, before Rondo got injured. And I think before Solomon Hill got injured was 46 wins, which is only five right. games above 500. So yeah. you're gonna, you're only gonna, you know, you're trying to keep your head above water the entire season. So that yeah. that's gonna be the answer throughout throughout the entire year. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, 
that I think every fan out there wants to go, you know, when you see, oh, we've got five of the next six at home, like let's go five and one because we're going to win all of our home games. Well, it, it just doesn't really work like that. Um, you know, maybe occasionally it will, but then that's probably going to be offset by some losses that you shouldn't have. Um, unless, of course, you're, you know, the Golden State Warriors or something. Um, I got a question for you, and it's uh, our Big Picture Boys segment, I guess. We need to get a sponsor for this, I think. Let's get uh, Raising Canes to... No, 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 no. We got to get Zatarans, dude. The Pelicans are 5-2 oh, yeah, since course. they put that patch Good on. Call. We got to... All right. We need some Good spice. Call. I could go for some jambalaya while we record. I like that dirty rice. Oh, man. Yeah. If they're listening, we're here. Big Picture yeah. Boys are here for Zatarans. Um, this is not an endorsement, with, however. Hook it up with the... I, I will endorse the dirty rice. I love Perhaps the dirty rice. endorsements are not a reflection on the Bird Rice podcast. All right. Yeah, that's totally me. You can at me. I'm at Trabeta. That's T-R-A-B-E-T-A. <laughs> um, Quick plug. Uh, I want to go to a topic that uh, we've talked a lot about in our um, group DM chat thing. And I brought it up just quickly earlier. And actually, you brought it up. What do you think about the national writer situation in regards to their view of the AD and Cousins pairing? Like, why why did this idea that, A, they weren't going to work, which, you know, you can have that prediction. You can say, oh, well, I don't think that they're going to work. Well, now, you know, we're, we're 40 games into this, and the beginning of the season has shown us nothing but a tremendous impact from the two of them playing together. I mean, it's very obvious that they pair well. Uh, you see it very obviously in those situations where, you know, our own uh, David Fisher did a story about how when they run a pretty simple play, which is horns, where you have the two big guys at the top setting picks and then, one guy will pop and one guy will dive. Um, you just you give your point guard so many options um, that you can kind of run that play to death and get away with it. Or you can have Cousins as your as your ball handler. Or occasionally you can have uh, Davis as your ball handler. Or you know somebody's going to get an offensive rebound. Or somebody's going to make a block. Or there's just any number of good plays that are going to happen when those two guys are on the floor at the same time. So why is it that national writers, for instance, at the ringer, they bring this up like every other week, it seems like, do they want to split them apart? Are they not watching the Pelicans games when these two play together? I, I don't um, think it's about it that basketball. They want to see cousins go somewhere else. I don't think it's about it's it's about on the court. I I think when you it, from from the standpoint where I could see the argument, I'm I haven't I don't read their content speaking refer uh, specifically to the Ringer and these other I typically just don't read them. Um, but the argument that I see that could have been made before the season, before we see the performances that they have had together, is you have Anthony Davis. Uh, presumably becoming unsettled at the fact that he can't win. Uh, the GM is making some horrid mistakes. 
the head coach is trying to coach a roster that he doesn't have at times, and you have to do something. You give away the highest draft pick since Anthony Davis, the most promising young player we've had for uh, a rental that you're not sure if you're going to be able to retain. And to that point, a rental that has had uh, temperamental issues regarding on and off the court um, that has hindered the Sacramento Kings from time to time. And then on top of that, you add a Rondo that has, I don't think, I think the media has turned Rondo into what people think of him today more so than what he actually is. But just when you look at it, you question, then you bring in a guy like Josh Smith and, and just, I don't know, it's just different things where I think they're looking at it. Can this work in that locker room? Could this blow up? Could this be where DeMarcus Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins has shown that he can be ball centric and he can hold the ball and he can attack the rim and he can dribble and Anthony Davis is still going to get his. And, but I could see the argument, like I said, before you get to watch them play, because once you see him play, you can, you can cut it out. And I think that's part of it when when you start this narrative and then you don't, you know, you don't watch and play and you don't see what's going on and you don't see how well it's worked. Obviously, you're not going to have the right the right idea about it. But uh, I don't know if I if I put that together, if I, I said all that well, it's just kind of a thing where, you, like I said, you look at the rock locker room and you look at the roster on paper and you say, man, I don't know how it's going to work. And, and the one thing that that I question myself is is you think when you put those two players together, it makes the the game of basketball easier. And unfortunately for this roster, that's not the point. It makes it harder. They both have to play 40-plus minutes because they're not getting the production they need out of the surrounding players. And at times that sucks. I think, uh, I think in my personal opinion, that's what happened in the Orlando Magic game where DeMarcus only scored 12 points is he was coming off a 41-point, 23-rebound game against the Kings. Um, a 29 point, however, 13 rebounds, I think against the Cavs. And then he had the, the magic and he's, he's gassed. And how could you not be when you're, when you're scoring 30, 40 points, 13 to 20 rebounds in back-to-back games. And then, you know, you run out at some point. And I think that's part of it that can become frustrating and can start to be an issue. But as long as they can win enough games and they can stay at 500 or a game or two better and they can keep that confidence, that's what that is what's going to keep the team alive and keep the the stigma uh, away. Once once that starts to fall and the same old Pelicans losing narrative returns, then I could see where we might start to have an issue. Uh, it's still way too early in the process. The trade happened, you know, February. It's still too early. But I think as far as from a basketball perspective, like I said earlier in the podcast, you can kill it. I mean, it's, it works, and it works It works damn good. Uh, I don't care if they play, you know, until the All-Star break and DeMarcus gets traded. I don't care if they play for 10 years. In my opinion, they're going to be the greatest front court players to have ever played together. Uh, it's not arguable to me. There's no two players in the front court that have played together that have the skill sets that Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins have and have been able in a, what is right now a small sample size, but I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. No one's been able to do that. I don't, um, you know, maybe the way the league's going, it might be able to happen again. I don't see it happening. Uh, DeMarcus is probably in his prime. I think Anthony Davis shows 
each season that he comes in that he's still getting better. So I know that I've kind of gone on a tangent here, but uh, it, it it bothers me when people say that when because from my perspective, like I said, I see it as as the best two big men to have ever played together, and uh, well, that's that, what I that think is, about wait, it. You're, you're going pretty far there. I I wish I had more history of NBA behind me, but I mean, man, that that's uh. In terms of like their absolute skill, like if you just bottle and vac, you know, put in a, into a vacuum their their individual skills, um, I get what you're saying there, um, and I feel like I can't think of any great front court combinations off off the top of my head right now. But I mean, um, if, if I get what can... you're saying though. I mean, they're certainly as skilled as it's ever going to get. Just for our listeners, if you want, if you want to have that conversation uh you know with yourself or make an argument on twitter or make a case you can go i'm just doing this off the top of my head you can go abdul jabbar and james worthy you could go um (laughs) david robinson and tim duncan um i mean if you this these aren't really even cases when i start thinking of ben wallace and and, uh rasheed wallace rasheed um I mean, you're you're just making stretches like it's it's there's not two elite players. There's one really good all time Hall of Fame player, and then uh, uh, Ewing and um, Oakley. Uh, I mean, you could go Barkley and Olajuwon, but Barkley wasn't you know when he was a Rocket, he wasn't what he was when he was a Sun. Yeah. Um, uh, Rodman and David Robinson played together. Rodman, what he wasn't what he was when he was a Bull. Um, yeah. And then when you go to the present day, you just don't see anything. Uh, you know, Blake Griffin and DeAndre is about as good as it gets. Um, yep. Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph is about as good as it gets. And, and they don't come close to Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. That's why I make that argument. Uh, to me personally, the only argument you could possibly make is David Robinson and Tim Duncan. And Tim Duncan, if I'm not mistaken, only played w- one year. With David Robinson, I think he was a rookie, and then Robinson retired. I'm not sure how accurate that is. I'm pretty sure that that was the case. But there's just not, you know, there's not two players that can stretch the floor. And I understand that that wasn't an element in the NBA game back then. And I know that this completely went to a whole different realm. But that's just my personal <laughs> opinion. And uh, yeah. I think if you look well, at I it think... from a perspective, if you put Davis and Cousins on the court against whatever two other big men that played on the team together, and they played two on two. There's no question who would win. Well, it's an interesting question. So it's two different things that you're talking about because you're bringing up, for instance, when you bring up like um, Ewing and Oakley, the only reason that you're even bringing them up is because those t- those teams were so good, and that team, those Knicks teams, were are like ingrained in our memories for being, you know, the competition for the Bulls and. They were just generally really good. I mean, they were one of the best teams in the East. They went to the finals the one year. Um, so, I mean, even if there are people with more talent, it always is, isn't all about the talent. It's more about your ability to win games. And I, I think to even bring it back to what we saw tonight, I mean, that's kind of the nice thing about having like somebody like Tony Allen and somebody like Jameer Nelson. Like Those are not the most talented players on the team even. Uh, we've got a $125 million point guard who turns out is actually a two guard. And we have to now use a guy that we got off the scrap heap to run the offense. Um, and even when 
the guy who we signed in the offseason, Rajon Rondo, comes back. He's going to pro- you know, probably supplant uh, Jameer Nelson. And so now we're going to have multiple playmakers ahead of Drew Holiday. But that it, it's interesting how you bring that up. I, I would say I think that Duncan and Robinson were definitely together more than one year because Duncan was like in the 97 draft, and then they won the title in 99 together. And then I think Robinson was retiring maybe a year or two later so they probably played together for like three or four or five years um but robinson was at the end of his career when they were when they were together um we can do this all night i think hakeem i kind of like the after the the title season right did he well he he may have i'm i'm not sure i'm not sure they they didn't play very long together tim duncan wasn't in his even close to his prime um yet and that's why he was I just pretty say good that, he uh, was very he, good very he early was, he wasn't anthony davis i'm sorry over a career he's more stable he's gonna be he's the greatest power forward to me that's ever played the game i'm just talking just skill set wise that you know i mean you, you know we can if ands but you know if you if you think about it from this perspective perspective is imagine that team and putting Anthony Davis on it and and having you know a Greg Popovich not a knock to Alvin Gentry but I think any team in the league would would love to have pop and he does certain things and and he makes he's gonna make players like Anthony Davis a hell of a lot better so I don't know uh you know I'd I'd take Duncan's defense over almost anybody ever okay I can I can go with that I I I guess I I have more of an offensive for here yeah yeah, I, no, I, I get what you're going for. I don't, uh, I don't want to make it sound like I don't respect Tim Duncan because if I'm being honest with you, Tim Duncan is probably my favorite player of all time. I just, I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. It's kind of hard when you know when you don't see a player like Anthony Davis win games, and it comes down to you're trying to compile a player's ability and, and their legacy together. And that yeah. plays a factor, you know, I mean, Chris Webber, you look at players like that, he never could win. He couldn't get over the hump and, and you know, how talented some of those players are. And, and you can't really have as much of a conversation or argument for them because they didn't win. And it's not necessarily fair when you're just talking basketball and you're talking skill set. And so I'm not I'm not trying to go as far to say Anthony Davis is just as good or, or better than Tim Duncan I don't know. I would just uh, let's just say I would take my chances with with Boogie and AD against Tim Duncan and David Robinson, and that's just personal opinion. Well, that's what we're going to be doing the rest of the year. Um, those two are going to, you know, if those guys play seventy seventy five games together, um, we could be looking at a team that you know maybe we get all the way up to say a six seed or something. Um, it's just going to be those two are going to be so huge for what happens the rest of the way uh we gotta wrap this up i'm gonna open it up to uh a big picture another big picture question to kind of finish it off what team so i mean we all kind of know who the best teams are in terms of we know who's going to be in the finals again but what team has played the best so far because i think it's I don't think that you would say that Golden State has played the best this this season. So who would you say has played the best basketball this year? Oh man, that's tough. Um 
God, so I'll let tough. you think about it because I, I, if I feel like well, this year I can go on and on about them, but I, I'm going to say Boston. I, I think that they've I, got everything put together. I think that Horford is on his way to another all-star appearance and he looks great. Okay. I think Kyrie looks great. I think you Jason almost made Tatum me lose my is, mind until I, until I remember that Al Horford is in the Eastern conference. I almost lost it when you said that, that he was going to be an all-star. Then I remember that we're talking oh, yeah. about the Eastern Conference. So okay, valid yeah. point. Sorry, yeah, but to he's been great. I mean, he's he's making like fifty percent of his threes. I mean, so he he would maybe well, you know, since we have two on our one team, it's kind of hard to tell what's going on in the West. But um, Jason Tatum looks like he's very very real um, at a very very young age and only playing in ten NBA games in his career. He looks. Uh, like he was just a brilliant pick by them. Um, I think Jalen Brown is, you know, definitely a real NBA starter level guy. He's, uh, and he, you know, it's going to be hard for those guys to even get time over the, which, which Morris brother do they have? I don't know. I like both of them. So they got one of the Morris brothers. Marcus Smart is having what I think is a, another great year. He's another one of those guys who's kind of like, a winner somehow um, at a young age. And so I really like him. Um, and then again, Kyrie, I mean, he's just like special. So I don't, I, I don't really think like they're... Boston so far this year. Okay. I can agree that they're playing, that they're probably playing the best basketball right now in, in, in a you know, sequence. They're nine and one over the last 10 games, they're nine game winning streak, but I don't think they're not a playoff team to me. I don't, I think, you know, they might win a series, but if they, and it's the Eastern Conference, let remind you for the 10,000th time. But if they yeah. find a tough team, when they find a tough team in the playoffs, should they match up with a Milwaukee or a Washington or Cleveland? I don't, I don't think, you know, with, with, with the level of time that you have to play those rookies, there, if you play some, uh, some veteran guards or just a, a veteran three or, you know, just, experienced players they're going to get to those rookies and or you know Jalen Brown's not a rookie second year player but they're going to get to those guys in a seven game series and uh, you know that's that's the only flag that is thrown for me against Boston is Horford Horford's getting up there he's not what he used to be Kyrie's awesome but he's not going to be able to put the entire team on his back uh, without Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are going to get figured out in seven games by a team that that's good enough. So you know, I, I don't know. They, Harry Rozier, Aaron Baines. What about those guys? Um, bums. All stars. Bums. <laughs> I wouldn't. I was gonna. I, I was gonna go with Houston. Was gonna be my pick. Uh, uh, yeah. They're you know considering what they're dealing with uh, with Chris Paul out. They're they're six and one on the road right now. They don't have as great of a home record at two and two. They've won seven of their last ten. They're on a three game winning streak. They're sitting at the top of the Western Conference right now. So that's going to be my answer. Just because you know I don't I'm not going to go with the the snakes of of Boston. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go there. I mean there there's some honorable mentions. I mean who thought Detroit would start the season seven and three? Orlando yeah. six and four. Uh, yeah. Memphis is six and four right now after losing Zebo, letting Zebo go, and Vince Carter, and, and you know reviving Mario Chalmers and working with some some young guys. So uh, yeah. there's some honorable mentions. I don't I don't think any team there there's 
enough parity right now and enough struggle with some of the good teams to to say you know who you, you can we can talk about who's the best team right now but nobody looks great to me you know Boston is doing what they can do but I think they're they're one team they're, they're a one game team and that works and and that's kind of what happened last year you know with the worst number one seed Eastern Conference team in probably in the history of the NBA and and that's just what that team has lived off of and uh, I I think they'll get figured out in the seven game series but it's just it's just early man not there's not a lot of teams playing great basketball consistently I think we'll get to that point once we get past about 20 games that's going to be the learning curve of the curve of the season past 20 games you're going to start to see exactly what teams are what they're made of what they can do and then you can start talking about uh, you know come closer to the all-star break you know january early february where where we see teams uh panning out uh, as far as playoffs go yeah um i'd also quickly mention philadelphia has had some moments they're obviously not going to be ben simmons has had ben, some moments dude ben simmons is re- he's very real he's I, a- I hate it i hated the whole offseason the or once once Lonzo got drafted, rookie of the year talk, everybody forgot about Ben Simmons. Like he wasn't there. People, like he people was, slept on Ben Simmons because he is like so legit. He looks I said great. it here, rookie of the year. I would have said it you before the that? season. You predict that before the year? Uh, if I didn't, I would have. So I'm going with <laughs> it now. All right, all right, fair enough. Yeah, no, he's great. He's running away with it. He looks really nice. Um, it's time to go to bed. So let's uh, end the podcast. Um, we're the big picture boys. We're going to be talking throughout the rest of the year. Go to the birdrights.com, the SB nation website for the Pelicans. Um, Trevor, give us uh, tell the viewer, or not the viewer, the listener, <laughs> what they should do on their, uh, on their, uh, the way in which they get their podcast, what they got to rate it five stars, right? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I care what you rate it. I want you to rate it five stars, but just five stars. To- if you, I just want the the gospel to be spread, Travis. If you don't like it, tell your friends. If you like it, tell your friends. Uh, you know, put it out there. Uh, I Preston mentioned it in the last episode. I'm doing a giveaway. I've got two extra tickets to the Clippers game on Saturday. Oh yeah. Uh, if you go to my tweet, you'll see it pinned on my Twitter page. Um, you just need to re- follow me, follow the Bird Rights, retweet the tweet, and go rate this podcast. You'll be entered to win. As long as I get 50 retweets and we have 100 rating, ratings by Friday, I'll, I'll name a winner. I'll be at the Clippers game. I'll leave the tickets at the box office for you. I'll be working in the media. So if you want to, ha- I'll have uh, a preview up. I'll, I'll also be on the recap. I'll be there at the Smoothie King Center live tweeting on Saturday. So if you're interested in that, go over to my Twitter page and, and see what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, five stars. That's what we need. Five stars. That's fantastic. We're trying to give. We're trying to give back, and so Trevor is ever so nicely uh, willing to donate some some tickets to. Well, I, I wouldn't call it donating. I guess if you're kind of making people give us five stars and retweet it, but you get the idea. Um, we will. Yeah, uh, hey, time out. I'm not making yeah. people give us five stars. I just say go rate us if you want to. I'm be, okay. Then I'm yeah. gonna make the here. How about this? We're, we're gonna add another caveat to this. Trabe Ta says you better give us five stars. You can't get the tickets unless you give five stars. Travis also does not speak on behalf anytime. Come on, 
podcast on behalf of the bird rights or Trevor Ritchie. But if you wish to listen to what Travis is asking you to do, I will be forever grateful. You totally give five stars. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, a couple couple nights from now, we play the Raptors. Um, we've got, uh, I don't know, about 70 more games this year. So uh, stick with us. Go to thebirdrights.com. Find us on Twitter. Um, and uh, go Pels. And now we begin part two of our podcast where we are talking to Chris McKee of Raptors headquarters. Thanks for joining us, Chris. I appreciate you having me, Preston. Thank you much. Of course. Uh, follow You guys follow Chris at Mr. McKee and follow his site at Raptors HQ. Uh, Chris, just for me, are you going to be live tweeting during this game? No, I never do. I mean, come playoff time, I will. But regular season games, I, I nah, it's, it's too much. Great. We always ask at the outset, just in case our guys want to like spy on the enemy and see what you have to say about the guy, give them a little bit of uh, behind the scenes type information. Uh, but let's let's just dive on in on why you're here, Chris. The Raptors currently sit, I think, fifth in the Eastern Conference at five and four. You guys had victories over the Bulls, 76ers, Lakers, Blazers and Jazz and losses to the Spurs, Nuggets, Warriors, and Wizards. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. I'll have everybody know the Raptors have not as of yet played the Bulls. Uh, let's let's talk a bit more about some of your acquisitions. You guys re-signed Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry in the offseason, and you added C.J. Miles, but you lost Corey Joseph, Patrick Patterson, P.J. Tucker, and Damari Carroll. Uh, forgive me if I missed anyone. How are Raptors fans feeling uh, nine games in in terms of what your expectations were uh, following this offseason? You know, I think – Everything's going according to plan right now. Nobody expected, you know, any kind of drastic improvement or, you know, any drastic decline either way. I mean, the loss of Damari Carroll, uh, I mean, people were celebrating here in Toronto over that. Um, you know, he, he really didn't gel when he came from, from really minute one. It just it didn't seem a fit. You know, of those name mentioned, you know, they're missing Patterson a little bit, you know, some muscle off the bench. But P.J. Tucker is you know, his presence, I would say of those four is the biggest loss that, I mean, just his veteran leadership, the toughness, um, he, 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 no one has really stepped. I mean, it's really early in the season still, but no one stepped up to sort of fulfill that role just yet. Cool. I want to play a, a quick game of who they are and what this is. I'm just going to tell you a statistic and you tell me if it's a good indication of who the Raptors are, because we have all these numbers uh, afforded to us on NBA.com slash stats and team rankings. But like you said, it's such a small sample size. Uh, don't know yet if it's an accurate accurate representation of who the Raptors in fact are. And according to these numbers, offensively, the Raptors are fourth in scoring in the paint. However, they're 30th in three-point shooting, uh, and they do a marvelous job of holding on to the ball. As it says, they're fourth in turnovers. They're also top 10 in free throw attempts. It appears the Raptors have the most success, according to these numbers, probably uh, charging the basket and drawing contact on offense. Will the, will the Raptors, do you think, uh, first of all, is this true or not? And secondly, will the Raptors be able to continue this streak of success down low against bigger defenders like Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins? You know, that stat, when you, when you mentioned that is surprising to me. You know, it's a young front court. I mean, aside from Serge Ibaka, guys like Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl, um, Lucas Nagara, you know, these are young guys. And, you know, to, to hear that statistically they're doing well, you know, cleaning up off the boards. I know, um, you know, even center Jonas Valanciunas, he's a little behind his, his 
rebound stats from last year, but the emergence of Siakam and Pirtle getting a little bit more minutes and, you know, according to these stats, I mean, it, it helping and doing well with it. It was a little surprising. Uh, also, I mean, the, the poor uh, three-point shooting, I mean, that's real surprising to me. During the preseason, uh, it, it looked like that was going to be one of the strong points early in the season. C.J. Miles got off to a really great start during the preseason. Uh, I know they went down to a Hawaii for a couple of games against the Clippers, and they were playing out in Portland, and C.J. looked real good, but early on this season, uh, he hasn't. And so, uh, you know, you wonder if some of those points uh, in the paint are as a result of, you know, the, you know, the forwards I just mentioned, you know, Siakam and Pirtle cleaning up the mess that guys like Miles and uh, even Kyle Lowry, you know, Lowry's only averaging about 11 points a game right now, which is well behind uh, his average. It's all, it's been all DeMar DeRozan right now. He's the only one shooting effectively from behind the arc. So uh, some of those numbers are surprised. I don't think it's who they are. They'll get going. They'll rev it up. And there's no way they're going to end the season ranked 30th and three point. I think you'll see them closer to the, you know, definitely in the top half of, of the league in that statistical category. You're listening to the Bird Rides, and we are talking to Chris McKee on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Let's uh, go into defense. Uh, it says you guys, you're ninth in scoring, but you're also 10th in op- opponent scoring. So it seems that you guys are well-balanced right now. However, uh, you're 20th in opponent's points in the paint. So you're giving up a lot of points in the paint, but you're only fourth in allowed three-pointers. Uh, you're also 28th in opponent in opponent fast break points. So you're giving up points in the paint and on fast breaks you're 28th in fouls at 23 per game yet you guys are fourth in steals and sixth in blocks and fourth in causing turnovers so basically an opportunistic defense who's going to give up points in the paint and in transition quite easily but you don't allow any three pointers and you're going to create a lot of opportunities for yourselves with uh deflections and that sort of thing does that does that sound like you guys I think that's a fair representation of the Raptors. I mean, Dwayne Casey is a defense first head coach. That's his model. That's what he's known for. And I know he spoke a lot about that in the preseason as, you know, getting everybody as his main goal early in the season, getting everybody working as a unit, working as one defensively foremost. So it's accurate. That should continue. I'd like to see them get a little tougher. Um, you know, it's, it's, but it's, like I said, it's still way too early to, uh, to pass full judgment, but it's, I think it's a fair representation of the Dwayne Casey model. Excellent. A lot of our uh, fans probably will be pretty familiar with your guys like DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, uh, even Jonas Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka. But uh, you mentioned Siakam earlier and uh, Norman Powell is a young guy uh, for you who's putting up 24 minutes per game and he's right around double digits in scoring. Talk about some of the development of your younger players like Norman Powell, like Siakam, and who you think the Pelicans might be surprised to, to see a great deal from here on Thursday. Well, Norman Powell is a guy that just the Raptors just re-signed him. Um, I'm going to say four years, about 48 million, right before the season, um, give or take a million. That's 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 pretty close. But I mean, this is a guy that was a four-year player at, at UCLA, um, and, and that seems to be the motto, uh, you know, that the Raptors uh, have taken. I mean, uh, you know, Anna Newby was a bit of a, an exception this year. You know, he's just a one-year kid out of Indiana and, and missed the entire second half of the season with a knee injury. I'm surprised to actually see him playing this early in the season. I mean, I, I thought we weren't going to see him closer to around Christmas, but you know, these young guys heal pretty quickly and he's looked 
pretty good. He, he's freakishly athletic. Um, his shooting is still very rough. I mean, he's looking at this is a one-year college kid, you know, now trying to transition into being, you know, a, a full-time NBA guy. And he's getting some decent minutes early in the season. So um, Dwayne Casey did the same thing last year with Pascal Siakam. Um, he started the first, I think, five games of the year, you know, as, as a rookie. He was the second of the, the team's first two-round picks last year out of New Mexico State former whack player of the year. Um, and this is a guy I believe didn't start playing basketball till later in high school. So he's one of these guys that he's nowhere near reached his potential. I love him. I've, I've been a big fan of his, um, you know, following him from at New Mexico state into the NBA. I thought this guy could be a player and I was real happy when the Raptors drafted him. Um, but he's a guy who's, he's not going to be a, a, an all-star, but he's going to be, a, a you know a 10 12 year pro and he's improving improving exponentially sorry about that uh from year to year so far and he looks looks good early on as well uh before we get into some of your lineups and rotations just something i'm noticing from basketball reference uh it says according to uh yesterday kyle lowry was questionable uh he was battling some kind of back injury and cj miles as well with some kind of illness that's not going to impede these guys from uh playing on thursday is it I can't see Lowry sitting out. Um, you know, that that surprised me. He should be good to go. Um, CJ, I mean, he's, he's looked fine. That might just be, um, you know, Dwayne Casey not wanting to publicly say that he's benching him because he's been shooting so poorly. And then guys like, you know, Norman Powell and Fred Van Fleet, uh, who's a second-year guy out of Wichita State, an undrafted guy, that he's come in. He's played real well when he has had the opportunity to play. So, uh, I, th- there's been no report of CJ not playing anywhere in the Toronto media that I've been aware of. Um, but I would expect Lowry to play for sure. Uh, now let's, let's start talking about some of your lineups and rotations and matchups. Um, obviously you're going to have, uh, some version of each one more and Drew holiday going head to head with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. But as far as big men go, which is the real concentration for the Pelicans right now, being that our two superstars are DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, uh, you guys have Jonas Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka, which I would think would be the likeliest pair, at, at least initially, to go up with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Talk a bit about how you expect them to perform defensively against those guys and what you can hope to get, uh, what kind of attributions you can hope to get from guys off the bench like Siakam and like uh, Jakob Pertl. Well, the way Boogie's playing, uh, it's going to be tough for anybody to stop him. I mean, he's, he's just been on fire early in the season. Um, and you know, Anthony Davis, I mean, he, he, I mean, if he's not the best center in the league, uh, you know, he's definitely the second best center, you know, up, up there, him and Carl Anthony towns obviously are, are sort of, you know, one, a and one B, uh, it's just far superior in talent to Jonas Valanciunas. I'm not a fan of Jonas. I think, you know, he's too lumbering. Um, he only shows up. It seems like he only gets numbers when it doesn't really mean anything. I know the last couple of years in the playoffs, he's been invisible. And so early in the season, you know, hey, he may look good. But when it gets down to crunch time, I just can't see them, uh, you know, getting anywhere near, you know, or being a being anywhere near able to defend Davis or Boogie. Uh, it's just a matchup that the Pelicans are going to be dominant in. Okay, so we can expect to, to win that battle, which, you know, the Pelicans uh, have two guys who are putting up historic numbers together right now. That's But that's been happening every single game this season uh, where we've been getting, you know, 
killed is with our reserves, our, our other would-be uh, contributors have not been playing uh, as well this season. And you guys have a lot of bodies to throw at us. Uh, according to NBA.com slash stats, you guys have 12 guys who are averaging 17 minutes per game or more. You guys really get into your depth, don't you? Yeah, I- I'm surprised to see some of the minutes. You know, like I said, guys like Siakam's been getting, Pirtle, um, Lucas Nagara. I mean, even Bruno Caboclo was getting uh, a couple minutes a game, which I don't even know why he's even still on the roster, but he is. But it seems to be, you know, that's been the Raptors' motto early in the season. Let's give everyone a look. Let's find out what we are and see what the rotations are and what's going to fit for us moving forward. Um, so it, it is surprising to see, but uh, obviously, you know, as, as things wind down and, you know, we get into the second half of the season, um, you know, some of those, I would expect to see guys like Pirtle uh, and Nagara's minutes, uh, you know, reduce drastically and they stick to sort of the core of, you know, with Jonas and Abaka um, and Lowry and DeRozan and, you know, whoever, whether it's CJ Miles or, or Norman Powell playing that three. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll I'll give you one more question and then we'll get to predictions and that sort of thing. Uh, According to the numbers here, Kyle Lowry has not been uh, shooting particularly well. He's got uh, about 37% from the floor. Is he going through a slump and can we expect him to bounce out of it before Thursday? I mean, he'll be fine. Uh, It is. I mean, something's not right with him. I I don't know if you saw he got ejected the other night. Uh, I believe it was on Sunday. And, uh, you know, he, he was getting a little hot. And so I think it's frustrations boiling over. Uh, and that was the result of that uh, ejection, that and a young referee uh, being a little too quick, um, you know, to, to toss him. But uh, he, he isn't playing well right now, but he's the guy that, you know, he's just been paid a, 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 big, whack of, a big whack of money. And I think he's going to get right. He's, he seems pretty focused in the offseason and he's saying all the right things. But, um, you know, who knows? Maybe he wanted a little bit more help from the Raptors in the offseason. They didn't really go out and, I mean, other than C.J. Miles, uh, there was no real big free agent acquisitions. I mean, you know, they re-signed Ibaka. We got him last year. They re-signed Lowry. Besides that, they didn't bring anything new. So maybe it's a result of him being a little frustrated, but he'll be fine. He'll settle down and and get back to being, you know, the Kyle Kyle Lowry we're, we're used to. Excuse me. Now, you guys are listening to The Bird Rights. We are talking to Chris McKee here on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. Let's wrap this up, Chris. Uh, Give us uh, a bit of a prediction. This game is going to be happening on Thursday in Toronto. How do you expect the game to go? And give us uh, a couple of details uh, specifically about when you expect your guys to go on a run, uh, what rotations you expect will take advantage of the Pelicans, and what you expect the end result to be. Well, uh, to be honest, I'm I'm leaning a little bit more towards New Orleans uh, as the favorite in this game. Uh, you know, the, the Raptors haven't gelled yet. You know, you talk about what the rotations are. We don't have it. You know, it's, it seems part of the philosophy is Dwayne Casey is going with the, you know, let's throw, our, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And so he's trying out a whole bunch of different rotations. So it's too hard to say, well, this is what it's going to be. And this is what it's not going to be because he's changing it up. And you, you mentioned earlier, all these guys, you know, 12 different guys getting a ton of minutes. Um, he's trying out everyone. He's giving everybody a look. So who knows as far as that, but, you know, we talked about Boogie and Anthony Davis earlier on and, and how well they're playing early on. And so I can just see them dominating the young Raptors front court and uh, going to school on them. And I, I would put my money on New Orleans coming away with a victory in Toronto on Thursday. 
Wow, that would be a big win for us. Uh, we've been pretty uh, sloppy and sluggish. Uh, our record doesn't indicate just how difficult the early ongoing has been for us. Uh, Boogie and Anthony Davis, as everybody know, have just been putting up historic uh, numbers like we mentioned, but Drew Holiday has been bad. Etwan Moore has been bad. Dante Cunningham, our three guys have been bad. Uh, it looked like our, our season was spiraling out of control before the Jameer Nelson acquisition. He came in and kind of steadied the, the bench unit for us. Uh, but it's good to hear that you guys are uh, are putting the ball in our court, so to speak. Uh, it would be a very big win for us, especially with tonight's game against the Pacers. If we can start our road trip with victories against uh, both, that could really set things in an upward uh, tr- projection as Rajon Rondo is returning from an injury. Uh, thank you so much again to you, uh, Chris. And thank you so much. Uh, I- I'm Preston Ellis. Uh, thank you to Trevor Ritchie and Travis Tate, who did the first half of this, our big picture boys. And of course you, Chris, uh, we already mentioned he will not be live tweeting, but do you want to go ahead and plug your site? Yeah, well, I mean, you can check me out on Twitter at, at Mr. McKee. And then as well, I too have recently started a podcast in my first episode last week. Um, and it features, I talk a lot of college basketball. So I've got Kermit Davis, who's the head coach at Middle Tennessee, who's one of the best kept secrets in college basketball. And as well, a, a director by the name of Sean Menard. There's a new documentary coming out called The Carter Effect. And it's about Vince Carter and his effect, you know, his rise to stardom in Toronto in the late 90s and early 2000s and how that's affected, you know, basketball in Canada and how all these there's these, you know, young Canadians playing in the NBA, guys like Tristan Thompson and Corey Joseph and Andrew Wiggins that all point to Vince Carter as the reason why they're into basketball and why they love it. And so this documentary covers that. And I have a you know, about a 10, 12 minute chat with Sean Menard, the director of it. And then my next podcast will be coming out in the next day or two. And I've got interviews with Lane Kiffin and as well, Kyle Keller, who's the head basketball coach at Stephen F. Austin, one of the uh, perennial bracket busters come March Madness. And Chris, what's the name of that pod? It's just the Chris McKee podcast. You can check it out on YouTube. Just type Chris McKee, that's M-C-K-E-E podcast and should pop up. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, dude. And thank you to all of you Pelicans fans. Again, you can find us on both Alexa and your Google Home devices. And if you have a moment, open up your podcast app, search the Bird Rice, click on the logo, scroll down and give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. Now we'll be back recapping this Raptors matchup on Friday with a special Clippers preview. Uh, Thank you again to Chris. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Travis. For now, let's go Pels. Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Bird Rights NBA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the Bird Rights for all the best coverage on the Pels. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes by searching the Bird Rights. Your support has gotten us up to 45,000 downloads thus far, a spot on Nothing But Net Radio here on the Dash and a feature on the front page of Blog Talk Radio. Now, we'll be with you guys all season, keeping you up to date on all the latest news on your favorite team. Let's go, pals! Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life.
Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.